and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Lisa Hollinshead, I am so excited to have you here on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to an interview. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And at my end. So let's tell everybody all about you. Let's start with what it is that you're doing right now, because I know you've just launched something as well. So tell us all. Yeah, absolutely. So where to begin? I mean, it all started back in March this year. Um, I won right. a trip to Berlin uh, in Europe and thought I'd won the lottery. I was like, how lucky am I? I would have too. My it. goodness. What, what was that? What did you win it for? It was um, so I have a website called social101.com and I get invited to media events and launches and the German consulate invited me to their um, kind of building in Wallara where they were unveiling a piece of the Berlin Wall that was in Sydney. Which wow, was really incredible. amazing. It was really cool and we got to meet some of the people that were in Berlin when the wall fell and the journalist that was covering it at the time. And then they did a business card draw and, um, yeah, my name came out of it. I feel like I manifested it, though. I really do. <laughs> that <laughs> is like amazing, uh, except yeah. terrible timing. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So I, I, I actually won the draw in, in December and then decided to, to book the trip in March. Um, my granny was due to right. turn 89 in April and she lives in Spain with my mum. So I was like, how perfect. I can fly to Berlin. Perfect timing. And yeah. do an internal flight. Only I booked it for the 7th of March, which probably rings a bell. It's not great uh. timing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I landed uh. in Spain uh, two days before stage five lockdown hit Spain. Oh, you um, went. So, so you actually made it over there. I made it over there. I landed right. in Spain. I had two wonderful days with my mum and my granny and my little boy and my stepdad. And then, um, yeah, we got the message that we had to be in our homes by midnight and we, we were, weren't able to leave unless it was to get groceries. And um, that was enforced quite heavily with, you know, armed policemen patrolling the streets. God, actually, that's um, really interesting, just apart from anything else, but of what people are talking about here. Because certainly I'm down in Melbourne and everyone's like, you know, Dan, um, Dan is keeping us all in, but we haven't had armed guards and things. I mean, that's a whole other level. Yeah, it, it was pretty full on because it was the beginning of all this as well. So when I flew to uh, Berlin via Singapore, like, even in Singapore, I spent a night like they were scanning our temperatures before we went into um, the malls right. and things. And I, it was very much starting to feel uneasy. And then when I yeah. landed in Berlin, Italy shut down. Um, and it was just like there was this kind of like catalyst of effect. It was domino effect of things happening. And yeah, when I landed in Spain, I had a bad feeling that something was going to happen and it did. Um, my my internal flight from um, my mum's place to Berlin was cancelled, yeah. and and then uh. my flight that I won was grounded. It was cancelled because um, Singapore was no longer allowing people from Europe to transit through. Um, so I wasn't oh, able God, to. I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. So they weren't allowing that. And then and then Emirates grounded the flights. And then I believe Etihad grounded the flights. Um, so oh I, my God, Lisa. So what did you do? I ended up, um, my, me and my stepdad and my little boy bundled in ourselves into a car when it was really starting to not look great and drove yeah. up to um, Valencia Airport. So it was five hours away. So we left the house at two in the morning. Uh, it was old, like Ryanair, who we flew with, were cancelling flights left, right and centre. So we just went and got this flight. Um, luckily, got, got to Manchester, which is where I'm from. 
Right. Um, but I didn't I didn't have any intention of going to England because I was planning on going to England in August. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to go twice. <laughs> Back so in the days when we could just plan <laughs> trips to go all over the place. Uh, it's like, it, I mean, it's kind of a, a blessing that I did go to Manchester because I got to see my dad and I got to see my, my brothers. So, you know, that was really, really special. And you managed to yeah. get a flight home. I booked a flight with Qatar, yeah. So I uh, did the flight via Doha. But I, I tell you what, that flight from Manchester to Doha, um, there were people in hazmat suits. Like it was, it was full. Oh on, my like, god! Complete. And was it really expensive? Like, did they had they bumped up the prices by then? I was so fortunate that I managed to get Albie and I, Albie's my son, um, onto yeah. the flight one way, and it was a thousand pounds. So realistically, <gasps> in the grand scheme of things, I did really That's well. That's amazing. Because people are paying, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand pounds, I think oh, now. I, okay, I wow. Like, so um, that's completely blown my blown me away, actually. So <laughs> well, we're back then, to tell everyone what it is that you do, though. What do you do now? Yeah. So I guess when I started in Spain, I had the feeling that inevitably people in Australia are going to go be going to go through the same. Um, and I started yep. to see that, like random acts of kindness happen and people really rallying together to just be there for one another. So I decided to do a call out to the Sydney Startup community for an idea that I had. Um, I'm already part of kind of like the startup ecosystem. I've been in the She Starts yeah. um, Accelerator previously at the end of last year. You'll have, after this, you'll have to tell us what you were doing before you came up with this idea. But yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Okay, so you, I did a shout so, out. You know. Yeah. I did a shout out to the community and just said, I've got an idea for a kindness platform where members of community can go and efficiently and safely offer help to one another who's in. Um, so I set up a Facebook base camp and set up a type form survey to ascertain like people's skill set and the capacity that they had. And overnight, bearing in mind I was in Spain, I did this at like midnight. I was like, I'm just going to do something <laughs> and have a purpose. Uh, yeah. I had, have a PR agency. I'd lost all my clients. I was like, right, I can laser focus in on this. Um, and yeah. overnight, 50 volunteers reached out and I was absolutely blown away. It was um, marketing directors, UX designers, website developers, publicists, yeah. HR experts. Just so many incredibly talented, skilled people reaching out to just help, to just do whatever they can to feel that they were giving yeah. back. So, yeah, we banded together um, and created the One Another community platform, uh, which connects members of communities um, to both offer and request assistance from one another in a safe right. place um, that's efficient and um yeah, just a safe place to come and, and offer kindness and request kindness from your community. Um, in, in what a, a gorgeous way. idea. That's just so oh, great. I don't know whether, have you met um, Naomi Lambert from the Cool she's, to be Kind project? So she's been heavily involved in one of the right. communities. So I'm also good friends with Louise Larkin as well. So, um, yeah, <laughs> oh, for so anyone that's listening, these both of these girls have had um, podcast interviews and a part of She's the Boss as well. So that's great. Yeah, wow, no, what a fantastic thing. Exciting. So what was the little trigger though? Then, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there was one, but was there kind of a light bulb moment where – you thought, hang on, kindness, that's what I need to do. People need to be able to help each other. Or what was it other than that uneasy feeling that triggered the idea of sort of starting the platform? I think it was um, a number of things. First of all, it was the people that were locked down in Italy, standing on their balconies, singing, you know, like just Oh, yeah, I loved all those videos when we saw them, yeah. Yeah, that that first of all was like, wow, people really can come together and see the positive in a really – 
crap situation. Um, yeah. And then I actually saw a picture on my Facebook, and I think a lot of people saw it. It was of an elderly gentleman in a supermarket um, next to the aisles that were completely ransacked. You know, Empty. there was nothing yes, on the aisles. Yes. Um, yeah, they were empty. And I, and I know from my granny's perspective, you know, if she does venture out to the shop that day, um, it's not easy. And she goes no. for her specific essentials. And if she made that trip and they weren't there, she wouldn't have any other way of, of getting those essentials. And it was kind of like a real... I don't know, kind of like a call to arms moment for me to be like, this isn't okay. Like, thank goodness my granny has my stepdad, but there's so many people that don't have that. Um, So yeah, yeah, it was, I guess it was personal experience combined with inspirational acts from others that just made me think there's a way to harness this. Um, How brilliant is that? That's fantastic. Okay. So um, I'm going to hear, I want to hear a bit more about what you're up to with it. But first, can you take me back through the journey of how you even got here in the first place? Because I'm guessing (laughs) when you were a little girl in England, you weren't thinking when I grow up, I'll go and live in Australia and start a a platform about kindness. So how has it all happened? What, what, what did you do when you left school or what happened at school that made you (laughs) even, uh, yeah. And how did you get to Australia? All these amazing questions I want them all answered <laughs> yeah no that's absolutely fine so I guess a little nugget of information is that I actually my dad and mum emigrated to Adelaide with me when I was three um, so we actually okay. lived in Adelaide for 20 months but my dad was really homesick um, so we right. went back to England two months before I was due to get a passport I actually was a little girl in Wigan near Manchester in England that always said when I grow up I'm going to go back to Australia and mum and my parents were like yeah of course you are oh, great one you know but I, I always had in my mind that when I was older once I've got a degree and done a bit of experience I was going to go to Australia like I was I've always was been there very- a reason was there a reason why? Was there something that stuck in your mind, like a picture of the beach or something to do with sport or or was it just a general feeling that, you know, that they were great, 20 great months and that you wanted to come back? I think it was a lifestyle, you know, like I understand why my dad didn't take to where we lived as an adult, but, you know, I was a three-year-old when we moved there with a gorgeous house with a big pool in the back garden we'd got right. permission for my granny and granddad to come and move over to basically build a granny flat in the in the garden and they started their visa process my granny and granddad came to visit me for a month my auntie and uncle came to visit me for a month and I just remember thinking like I live in this incredible place um going to kindergarten which was just really cool like I remember like holding like the little chicks one day you know when they bring the animals in (laughs) it's weird isn't it how you have like these these memories that you can call upon um but yeah I, I really enjoyed it and my earliest memories are in Australia so um yeah that's amazing actually my parents who lived in Cyprus what's that no, no, sorry, keep going. I was going to say, I was just going to say same sort of same thing that my my parents um, moved to Cyprus when I was four, oh, and no that way. is the reason we ended up moving to Australia because I grew up in England as well. But but oh, I just clearly God. remember a mum and dad said to be able to have breakfast outside on the balcony and oh. then go down the beach after school, and yeah. um, and it really does colour kind of everything about. Um, 
you know, about where you want to be when you go back to cold, grey, miserable England. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'd had a taster for the lifestyle. And even now, I've lived here for 12 years. My friends from home always say, you know, what is it about Australia? Why would you leave your family and all your friends behind? And I'm like, when you go, you just know. I was like, I can tell you about the beautiful beaches and the gorgeous sunshine and the fact that it's so vast and there's so much to see. But it's, it's intangible when you come. You just get it. And, it's just um, a feeling. Exactly it, it is a feeling, 100%, as cliche as it is. Um, yeah. I read a book when I was um, 14, and it was it was a rock, a rock like, fiction fiction book about a girl that, you know, broke down a relationship and she moved to America. And she was a publicist in the book. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, that's such a glamorous job. You know, she gets to travel around the world and, like, work with celebrities <laughs> and go for amazing dinners. So I kind of, like, read this book and was like, this is what I want to do. I want to work in, in PR. So um, nice. when I, I kind of, like, went to college and did media studies at college and English. And then when I went to university, I did media marketing and cultural studies. And um, I actually was selected as a delegate for the Media Guardian Television Festival, which is a festival that takes place in Edinburgh. And it's for people that work in the the TV and entertainment industry. Um, So, yeah, I went to this workshop um, with a lady from an agency called Taylor Herring. And she was talking about how she did the PR for The Apprentice and Robbie Williams. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I want to work with her. Yeah. <laughs> so me being me, you can probably tell I'm not a wallflower. Um, walked, <laughs> walked over to her after the workshop and just said, hey, what do I need to do to get some work experience with you? I'm, I'll work for free. I'll, I'll, I'll stay in a B&B in London if I have to. You know, what can I do? And she was like, I love, you know, your, your um, what's it, brazenness. <laughs> well, was I like, mean, I guess that? when you th- if you think now if a 14-year-old came up to you and said, I love everything you do, what can I do? You'd be like, <laughs> oh, my God, I love you straight away for asking me. Yes, I'll find well, a way I to get actually- you employed. I was actually, um, I think I was 18 at the time. I'd just started university, but still a baby in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, gotcha. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, she gave me a card and said, send me an email. Let me know what you'd love to do, what your experience is, and we'll hook you up. So, yeah, long story short, ended up doing work experience with her. Um, my first ever job was with Taylor Herring. They offered me a freelance junior publicist job uh, where I did the PR for The Apprentice. And that oh, was fantastic the start of my PR career which is just you know so amazing to have that first foot on the ladder and then my second gig was working at an agency in Manchester which I really kind of learned a lot when I was there and my client was a long-haul airline so I was 22 years old managing press trips to Antigua, Moscow and Barbados, basically Gorgeous. taking these top tier travel journalists yeah. and traveling the world and showcasing the first class, you know, cabin and the onboard chef. And I just realized that there was a lot of world out there to see. Um, so I, I, a seven year relationship that I've been in broke down and um, I just came to a decision to book a one way flight to Sydney, as you do. And, and so by it. that stage, did you have Albie? No, so Albie's a whole other story. So well, um, well, well, I'll wait for that one. So it's just <laughs> you on your own. How old are 22. you roughly at that stage? So it's twenty-two when I booked twenty-two, and you book a one-way yeah. ticket. I love I it. So five, what happened when you dollars. landed on the shores with a couple of bags? And do you have family here or friends or no? So actually, we came over with um, one of my really close friends, Joe, that I was living with in uh, Manchester at the time. We came over together. It's kind right. of like the meeting of two worlds. And um, yeah, we didn't know anybody over here. We just booked into a hostel. Um, I'd already lined up some interviews with PR agencies because I'm quite. 
quite forward thinking like that. I, I think, you know, line up some interviews. And then it was actually January 2009 when we landed here, just as the GFC hit. Right. <laughs> so literally, oh these ag- it was ridiculous. So all these agencies that had lined up interviews, you know, with the MDs with them and my interviews with the MDs, um, they were reaching out to me saying, we're really sorry, we've just made a load of people redundant. We can't be seen to be meeting with people. Yeah. So... I ended up having to get a sales job, which was great. Like I was living in a hostel, 22, with a company car, company laptop and a phone. Like I'd go out, I'd be selling in all day to like And living in Sydney as well. I mean, absolutely gorgeous and mind-blowing if you've lived in anywhere in England to go. I I did a couple of years in Sydney with my English husband at the time. And I just, I remember saying to him one night, we were catching the ferry back and going, well, isn't this better than the tube? (laughs) <laughs> yeah just a little bit I know I remember when I stayed at a friend in Manly and got the ferry over to Circular Quay and my commute back in England was on the M6 from like Manchester <laughs> to Warrington like grey skies and bumper to yeah, bumper yeah. you know I was like yeah this is definitely better <laughs> so yeah I was very fortunate and then um, I was very fortunate again to get sponsored so I was on a year's working holiday visa and then um yeah I was working for a PR agency, but it was a very small boutique agency. And they found out 10 days before my visa was due to expire that they couldn't sponsor me. And I was like, I'm sorry, what's that? Now you can't sponsor me. So I had 10 days left to get sponsored. So me being me, I picked the two PR agencies that I really kind of wanted to um, explore. So reached out to the MDs, was completely transparent about my situation. I was like, this is my experience. These are the journalist references that I've got here in Australia. Here's my client references. Let me come and talk to you about what I can do. And God knows how it happened. It was like the 10th of December. So it was just before everyone was about to leave as well. And um, yeah, I got offered a job and sponsorship at both of the agencies. And I decided to take the opportunity with Ogilvy's PR, consumer PR division. Nice, nice. Yep. Um, yeah, and got sponsored by them. And um, the rest, they say, is history. <laughs> PR well, no. So here. how long did you work for them for? So I worked for Pulse Communications for two years and uh, the accounts that I worked on were LG Electronics. And I also had another dream realised of mine. So I'd always had a dream of working in film PR, entertainment, because my first gig was, you know, working for The Apprentice and Britain's Next Top Model. I always wanted to kind of find myself back to entertainment. And um, I took, I was working late one night in the office and I took a call from the head of marketing at 20th Century Fox. And they basically had an avatar DVD and Blu-ray release taking place in 21 days. And they'd exhausted all of their budget on a Virgin Blue uh, partnership. They'd like wrapped a plane to look like an avatar. Uh, So they'd be like... They were like, we've got minimal budget to do a PR launch. Are you in? Like, and I was actually the only one in the office, like an account executive, just kind of like taking notes. But luckily, because I'd worked in entertainment PR before and done PR for a long haul airline, I kind of knew what was expected. What was needed. Yeah, like, you know, I knew that if they were going to be shooting on the tarmac at the airport, you needed permits for media. And I kind of like was able to just waffle my way through it. And we got a meeting. And yeah, I ended up doing the PR launch for Avatar on Blu-ray and DVD, which is still the biggest Blu-ray and DVD of all time. It was just Amazing. An it's just, I mean, I actually started my PR agency working with DVDs and, and um, no launches. And it's so exciting. It is such a sexy part of PR to be in, I think. But oh, for it, you to pull really all of that is. off is amazing as well. So well done. <laughs> so, Thank what did so that much. then lead to? More films? 
Um, yeah, so we worked on a number of different projects with 20th Century Fox. It was their home, home entertainment division. Um, and I actually ended up going to another agency called Maverick after two years at Pulse, where I worked with like uh, Maybelline and Beckett Bait and Kiza and Samsung right. and like a few other brands there. Um, but I guess the thing that really came full circle is after doing a few freelance gig at gigs at different agencies working with incredible brands, um, I set up my like freelance ABN. So I was like, this is kind yeah. of what I want to explore. And my old boss from um, 20th, well, my old client from 20th Century yeah. Fox reached out to me. They just secured a new agency and they wanted me to go in and lead that account. So I went into that agency and wow. did a six-month contract, which was amazing. And it then is. 20th Century Fox asked me to go in-house and work on their theatrical team. So I worked on their theatrical team in late I think it was 2013 so I did the premiere for Birdman um, Wild Night at the Museum 3 so that was kind of like incredible to have them as a client and then be asked to go and work in-house on the absolutely it just goes to show what what a great PR you are obviously you're very good at it or otherwise they wouldn't have so congratulations oh thank you that's really kind of you that. So what happened after that? I'm inching to know when you decided to go out on your own because obviously you're really good. So I'm hoping that it occurred to you to maybe get yeah, your own clients. We did. After the contract came to an end with um, 20th Century Fox, um, I, I had a few other clients um, that I worked with previously that had gone on to set up their own thing, God, gone to new gigs, approached me and asked if I was interested in doing the PR. Um, and it was just kind of like it happened really organically, like, I've never until now really um, had to do um, hunting and farming. It's always been referral word of mouth where people have come to me and said, oh, such such a body's recommended you or I saw the work that you did with this. So I just ended up getting, you know, about six clients that wanted to work with me at the same time. So I was like, right, let's go do it. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to, I'm a big believer in um, that failure isn't failure. It's a life lesson to for you to take on board to give you the tools so that next time you come across that challenge, you know how to navigate it. You know, we don't try. You oh, I know. love the way you think. I feel the same way. It's like, give it a go. Um, Cause the worst thing that'll happen is you'll be exactly where you were before it started. Exactly. Really? There's no downside to, to yeah. it other than your own mental health. And you just got to go, it's just an opportunity and I'm going to go with it and see how it, how it all happens. So Absolutely. did you end up having to pick up a whole lot of staff if you had six accounts or did you juggle it all yourself? Initially, I was one of those people that I was like, I'd just rather do it myself because I know that I can do a good job, but obviously that's not conducive to your mental health. It's not conducive to actually being able to deliver on all of the things. Like I have a habit in my life of taking so much on and rather than focusing on one thing and excelling at it, taking on so many things. I'm very much a yes person. Um, So yeah, I realised after (laughs) a year that I needed support so then I was able to I actually did that like developed a um at the time it was a unique business model but after I, I had Albie which I'll fill you in on in a sec um I yeah. set up it fully on my own and I had like a lot of clients and um being a mum I understand understood that the struggle is real you know you're, you're either doing really well at work and feeling like you're failing as a mum or you're yeah, excelling or the other and you way around but it's failing at work it's like it's so hard to strike a balance so 
it so is, came yeah. up with a model back in 2017 where I worked with consultants on a remote basis and that I actually um, brought in resource on a project basis rather than hours. And if you had the skill set and you cut your cloth, you know, to be able to execute that project in two days as opposed to yeah. two weeks, that didn't make a difference to me. As long as you're delivering on your results and you're looking to over you know overachieve yeah. on those kpis you're going to get work again and you can have the fortune of working around your own schedule whether it's your breastfeeding you know like schedule or whether it's if you've moved to a remote area and you've got you know other things that you've, you've taken on so yeah it's, it's time, such a but, great model isn't it and it's taken the pandemic for the rest of the world to realize that that actually absolutely. works so well and and you know i had twins when i had my agency <laughs> And I remember thinking, oh, my God, (laughs) same thing. And we just had a whole lot of consultants that we worked with. So um, so you've got your own agency then. Tell me about how Mm -hmm. Albie happened and, and what was going on there then. Oh my goodness! So um, I'm going to do I'm going to do this as succinctly as possible because it's a long story. So um, when I was eight, Great. when I was eight, <laughs> so when I was eighteen, um, I actually um, I was I'd always been quite slim, but I was carrying a lot of weight on my tummy. And um, people actually, I found out after the event, people thought that I was pregnant. I wasn't. Right. I went to the doctors and I was due to go to Australia with my then boyfriend for Christmas. And um, I walked into the, I, I'd actually been on a night out um, at university where I went in Liverpool and a drunk guy said to me, is there a baby in there? And pointed to my belly. And that was kind of like right. a wake up call. And I was like, shit, this, this isn't normal. So I went yeah. to the doctors the next day. The doctor also thought I was pregnant and did the, the not the ultrasound, but you know, when you just listen to the baby's, to the baby's heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. And he could hear a, a heartbeat that was racing, but he was like, to be honest with you, that could be your heartbeat because obviously you're anxious and you've got anxiety. So I went to the hospital, had an ultrasound. It turned out that I had a dermoid cyst on my ovary the size of a rugby ball. Um, oh, my was, giddy aunt. Yeah, in, insane. Like, it's just not what I expected whatsoever. I was told that I couldn't fly. Um, so my boyfriend at the time went to Australia anyway. Um, Did he? He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, didn't just delay it. Longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, no. We, we went, but the thing is, is we actually, so I had the operation. I lost one ovary and a fallopian tube. And then two years later, I lost another half of an ovary through the same thing. So I've got like a dot of oh. an ovary. So my then boyfriend and I were going to have our embryos frozen. And then the night before we were due to have have the, the procedure done, my um, to start the uh, harvesting of my eggs, um, he left me. Um, so I, he decided he didn't want to do the relationship oh, anymore. So. Lisa. I was 22 on my own just about to freeze my embryos he put he decided that it wasn't for him so I ended up reapplying to have my eggs frozen on my own because I was like you know this this is the situation I'm eligible but it wasn't the good thing can I just say I have to interrupt you to say you are the most switched on (laughs) go-getting girl I've ever heard. Right, so that seems, yep, okay, so you froze your eggs, great. (laughs) Yeah, so they they allowed me to do it, and I was actually the first person in England, and I think one of the first across the world that got their eggs frozen on the NHS or paid for by the state that wasn't a cancer patient because of the whole ethics of, I was fertile, but it was highly unlikely that I would conceive naturally but I would probably live right. to, to, to use those eggs if I did need them. Whereas if somebody has cancer yep. and, and they, they're, they're very ill, 
if they have the chemo, they won't be able to conceive naturally, but they might not live to use, no. to use the eggs. So there's that ethical debate. So anyway, I had it eggs frozen and then moved to Australia on a one-way ticket a few months after that. So that probably makes a little bit more sense. As to why and the eggs, and eggs of course, are in England at that stage, are yeah, they? So, yeah, they've been frozen for 13 years now. I've just renewed them for another 10 um so yeah i landed in australia had seven years um living the dream working in publicity um i I launched a website called social 101 so i was invited to lots of like vip parties and premieres so what is social 101 uh, it's basically just a, it's like more of a hobby than anything it's, it's it's a lifestyle website for expats and people that are new to us to, to sydney to provide like insight okay. into cool bars and restaurants and hotels and events it's kind, kind of like a time out but oh, lovely. the content the content's curated by real people not journalists basically um so right. yeah i had a seven year blast doing that and then um yeah i went to the uk on my third year for, with my mom and um, for a trip and on the plane, um, I ended up sitting next to a handsome stranger um, and we kind of like talked <laughs> nonstop. So I met him in Abu Dhabi and we, we chatted for 10 hours, drank lots of gin and tonic um, and ended up exchanging details, but purely platonically. We were actually both like dating other people at the right. same time. So it was just a friendship thing. And then we ended up texting every day um for three months and we decided maybe there's something in this um and we booked to meet in vietnam so this was the october sorry and, and let me meet. where where was he from is he so english he england australia yeah so he, so he okay. was in liverpool in england which is like just down the road from, from where my family are from yeah. um and i'm over here in sydney and we're like texting and calling every day and then we booked this trip in vietnam and then I suddenly had to go back home to the UK. So my grandpa was passing away. It was his final day. So I jetted back to England. And Stephen, this handsome stranger that I'd met on the plane, um, kind of just took me under his wing. He, like, hired a car for me so that I could get around. And we had our first date, like, the first romantic kind of encounter. And just had this whirlwind three-week romance and I'd already had the chat with him about the fact that you know I maybe couldn't have kids but I've got eggs frozen and we'd chatted about that when we were texting and calling got back to Sydney we had like four weeks until we were due to meet in Vietnam and I started to feel unwell and didn't really you know like feeling sick and I went to the doctor oh my goodness (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I literally went to the doctor I know, I know. So, yeah, found out that I was pregnant um, with a guy that I'd basically yeah. been dating for three weeks that lived in Liverpool in England. I told him <laughs> that I couldn't have kids or it was unlikely. He was like, he's so going to think that I've trapped him. <laughs> he's genuinely going to think that, like, I've made this play, which I absolutely hadn't. Um, so, yeah, I went to Vietnam. He came to Sydney. We had the 13-week scan when he was here in Sydney um, and the baby was, was fine. Because I was going to say, what was and his then- reaction? Oh, his reaction. What was his reaction? So it it jokes around, like when we were in England for the first three weeks, I said to him something funny like, like, oh my God, like imagine if I I fell pregnant or something silly because we were taught, I was trying to like ease the tension because I've been talking about how I couldn't have kids. And he was like, oh my God, there'd be a a Stephen shaped hole in the wall kind of thing. And he's like, I'm only joking. So when I told him, I was like, (laughs) so by the way, like about that Stephen shaped hole in the wall, and he basically just said, oh, my days, about 50 times. <laughs> he was like, oh, my days, oh, my days. Um, so I oh, my days. Wanted, I, 
that's all I heard. And then I just wanted, I didn't yeah. want to rally, like railroad him. So I just basically said, why don't we take the weekend and both think about what it is that we want? And then we'll have an adult chat about it. But, you know, when we've had a chance to digest it and think about it. Now, obviously, I knew that I wanted to keep the baby, but I didn't want to say that to him and him feel like he was backed into a corner. And I didn't want to always yeah. think, but did he want it? Was it did he? Or did he? Or did I just make the decision? So anyway, I left him with it, and then twelve hours later, he phoned me back, and it was like there's nothing left to think about. It was like I absolutely want to like go down this path with you and see where it takes us. So that was lovely because he wow. came to that decision by himself, which was amazing. So yeah, yeah I ended up moving back to the UK um, in the March. So we had 10 weeks apart while I kind of got my affairs in order because I was running a PR agency that was kind of all remote workforce and I was renting in Bondi, whereas he worked as a gas engineer yep. in England and owned his house. It just made sense to go back to England for a year. <laughs> Um, as you yeah. do <laughs> um, and yeah long story short my best friends and midwife um, she, I had to have a C-section because of my history and it was the most beautiful process and then yeah Albie was born on the 4th of July on Independence Day 2016 oh um, my goodness an absolute miracle baby and he's called Albie after my grandpa Albert that I went back for the funeral for because if it wasn't for that situation oh, then Albie would, would never have been here. So yeah, it's um it's a it's a lovely story and um it is so with really Stephen now. So Stephen and I actually we separated eighteen months ago. Um Oh I, I, but you we were together for a while. Oh, we did. Yeah, so we ended up moving back to Australia together in March 2017. Right. Um, and yeah, we moved to the Northern Beaches together. And it was just a case of the fact we, put, we, we couldn't have taken more on. You know, we fell pregnant after three weeks of dating. Um, we moved in after five months of dating. When I was when I was five months pregnant, um, I had a baby. We didn't even You're know right. each other. He's 10 years older than me. He never lived anywhere other than Liverpool. Like I've been living independently on my own in Sydney for seven years. It was just two very, very different people trying to make a relationship work that if we hadn't about had Albie in the picture, we probably would have figured out quicker that we weren't, you know, perhaps as yeah. compatible as we thought we were initially. But what we have got is an incredible friendship. So he... Um, he lives down the road from me in Manly. We, sh- we share custody of Albie, you know, 50%. Um, and we're both really lucky. Like, we both adore Albie. So between the two of us, you know, Albie couldn't be more loved. And then um, C and I, yeah. yeah gorgeous. What a great story. Thanks. We're much better as co-parents um, than we were in a relationship, for sure. <laughs> uh, but, you know, on top of that, a lot of people don't come to that realisation, you know, and, and things can go oh, yeah. really nasty. So that's fantastic that you've done that. So now tell me a little bit more about where the platform is. The um, all, Is it all together? What's it called? One Another Community. So it was originally called Good Neighbours. Like when I first came up with the idea, I was like, Good Neighbours, because I'm a Brit and I used to watch Neighbours and I was in Australia. So I was like, that's a cool name. (laughs) But then when I did... But when I came up with, when I did my due diligence and looked into trademarking and all that kind of thing, there was actually another charity called Good Neighbour, um, which wasn't an Australian charity, but they did have an Australian arm. So I was like, okay, we can't use that. And I started to sing the Neighbours theme tune and it's like, good neighbours are there for one another. And I was like, one another. That is essentially what we are. You know, it's a one another community. Um, So yeah, that's where that came from. 
Um, and yeah, we've been live now for five weeks, um, which is just incredible. So you can log on to the platform at oneanother.community and register and sign up. Um, but we've not done our official Big Bang PR launch that's taking place um, in two weeks' time um, on the 7th of November. Oh my goodness, exciting! It's so exciting. It's kind of like we've been working towards this point. Yeah, it's it's super cool. We've already got 500 people on the platform, like mainly in the northern beaches. Um, but yeah, we're hoping Amazing. that the launch will catapult it to people so that people know I'm it's there. I'm sure it will. I hope so. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm sure it will. There's another woman um, in our group who set up a website last October because she lives up in the country and it was all Mm. about um, Christmas called Buy From A Bush Business and she had 275,000 people pop on it in the the last 10 months or something. So I think if you hit a nerve, and I reckon you might with this one, that it will absolutely take off. So I'm so excited for you and it's such a beautiful idea. So tell me along the way in – in your career, um, and, and because you're in PR, I'm guessing that the answer is going to be yes to this, but have there been any specific women that have helped you along the way? And if so, can you tell us how they helped you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess my first kind of PR mentor um, is a girl called Emma Wright, and I worked with her at Taylor Herring. So she was like my first account manager um, that I worked with in the PR world. And she is incredible at what she does. And um, she actually lives over in Australia now as well. So she ended up emigrating, I think it was about 18 months after I did. Um, and right. she, um, yeah, she's, she's over here. She's married an Aussie. She's got a baby and she, um, is works for, um, yeah, like Patrick Gamble group now, but it's so funny because there's nice. been so many points in my life that, um, there was one job, like w- once I ended one contract and I didn't have another one in the pipeline, like literally as I was in the lift going down, Emma phoned me and she was working for the Tomorrowland group at the time on Procter & Gamble as a client then. And she was like, oh, we've got this yeah. big campaign coming up with Pantene. Um, are you free? We, we need someone for the next three months, like full time. And it just couldn't have come at a better time. And then I got well, to see her again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's just an incredible mentor. And I know that she's had um, a lot more protégés kind of like since, you know, she, I worked with her all that year. Those oh, that's years lovely. Ago. Yeah, she's been, oh, she's been amazing as someone that her. I massively look up to. Yeah. Um, and then I guess just like in my world, in my friendship group, I'm surrounded by incredible women. Um, you know, I have my friend Sarah Jelly. She worked in the music industry as um, a content producer, like videographer. She worked for Today FM, okay. to Universal. She's just had her second baby and five weeks before he was due, she thought, I know, I'm going to set up a co-working space, a collective uh, collaborative (laughs) space for creatives in Manly and basically took out a leasehold on this place in Manly near the beach and created this incredible space five weeks before she had a baby. And, you know, she's someone that inspires me all the time because she's someone else that, you know, she's a doer. You know, she's not a dreamer. <laughs> she yeah. she ha- has an idea yeah. and she actions it. Um, and the same with so many other of my girlfriends. Like one of them is um, the head of um, content for BuzzFeed Australia. Um, the, like two of them work wow. in recruitment and uh, are top of their game. You know, they're incredible recruiters. and There's something and- to be said 
There's something to be said about surrounding yourself. And I, and I only had an interview with someone yesterday and I was talking about that idea that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You know, you really exactly. want to surround yourself that. with people that are smarter than you and better than you and you'll grow and learn and, and you know, Im- improve yourself as well and your own skills. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it is important to surround yourself with um, people like that because it just makes you want to do better. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me a little bit when you've got a young son about, and you've got two businesses really that you've got on the go now. Um, how do you juggle work and life? What sort of hours are you doing? I mean, do you have, are you, are you saying we, you know, we, on the times that I have Albie, it's all about Albie outside of nine to five or does it all bleed into each other? How does it all work? Um, it's interesting because um, I go through phases, but I'd say that COVID has really um, forced me in a really good way to be aware of self-care and uh, looking after yep. myself. So as I mentioned previously, I was a yes person. I take everything on, um, put on realistic deliverables on myself, burn myself out, try and be the best mum, try and be the best publicist, try and be the best friend, try and be the best partner, and something's got to give. So now um, I, try, I try and have as much routine as possible so I try and do the gym in the morning um like quite early on so if Albie's been at Steve's the night before um I'll do like a 5am gym class and go and pick Albie up after and then walk Albie to school have a good breakfast to start my day like it's all about filling up your cup you know so that you've got the overflow to give to other people um exactly right and I've just actually started working with a a life coach called Blake Worrell Thompson that's um one of my clients for comms 101 and I'm going through his 12-week life coaching course so that I can understand it so I can authentically talk about it but also benefit from it as well and it's been so interesting chatting to him like being aware of my people pleasing and um you know perhaps giving my tokens to other people before I give them to myself you know and just being more aware of that so yeah instilling routine Albie's in daycare four days a week so he's in daycare Monday Tuesday Thursday Friday so those days I work full time Um, I do blocks in the day so that like you know like from from 10 till 12 this day it's one another and then from two till four I'm doing Navitas or whatever that looks like Wednesdays is my day with Albie so I don't book anything in on a Wednesday because that's yeah, my time. Good. And same with weekends. I don't work on weekends. I mean, obviously, as a, as a tech startup founder, of course, I'll be on a call. I'll always be available. Yeah. But I just think it's important to set those boundaries with your team as well and say, I'm here if you need me, but the weekend is my family time. Um, so if you need yeah. me, so it needs, reach out. Yeah, it needs or, to be urgent for, for you to contact yes. me on a weekend. <laughs> wow. Well, you are one go-getter, that's for sure. So, um <laughs> Here's a funny question that I ask everyone. A journalist suggested I ask this, and I'm loving the answers that I get. So uh, is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing? A quirky fact? I mean, I'm a pretty mm. open book, as you can tell. <laughs> you are, I was going to say. It could be that you've only got half a fallopian tube and, and, yeah. and, and ovary. It could be that, you know, that you've no, met. Okay, I think you're fair enough. I think you've answered that one already. So last questions are just silly questions because I'm obsessed with my phone. And so yes. I like to ask everyone else if they are too. So do you use your phone for business? And if so, what are your two favourite apps? Outside of, I'm going to say, email and banking and those kind of things. Uh, I take, yeah, I'll take so that as a given. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I do use my phone and I do use it for work. Um, I'd say that um, Slack is probably my number one um, yeah. app that I use. Um, it just I've got different workspaces. So I've got one for Comms 101. I've got one for um, one another community. It just enables me to streamline my communication. So Slack definitely is one that I love. Um, and my other favorite app um, for both personal and professional is Calm. So Calm is oh, really What, what a does great Calm app. do? So Calm is an app that um, encourages mindfulness and meditation and taking time for self-care of yourself. So I use Calm every night to fall asleep. They've got sleep stories. So it just stops okay. your busy brain from being busy. It's the same as a, an adult reading a story to a child. You know, it just enables them to switch off. So they've got really amazing sleep stories that are read by like Matthew McConaughey and, and Stephen Fry, you know, and you can listen to these wow. amazing like dulcet toes, like ruling you to sleep. Um, but it's also really great for doing meditations as well. So you can get a reminder every day to just remind you to stop, you know, for 15 minutes and just focus on your breath, which I think a few years ago, people would have thought you were cuckoo for saying that. Whereas now <laughs> I think people are becoming more aware of the value that it brings to just stop. <laughs> and, like, yeah, just I be. couldn't agree more. And what about yeah. do you play on your phone? Do you have any fun apps? Mm, playing on my phone. I mean, the most thing like in terms of like gamification is um, really, I don't really, it's more Instagram, you know, like Instagram right. um, and, and Facebook. That That's I a very common like, answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. My little boy's got this um, app called Tom2 on my phone and it's a little cat that you have to feed I know and water and play. You, you're aware of it. So I think on well, my Tom, phone. I almost, remember I have a son. I have a son called Tom, one of my twins, and I, and it came ah. out. I mean, they're 14 now. It must have come out when they were about three or four, I think, maybe about 10 years ago at the first ones of it, and I remember it very well. Oh, honestly, I, I, all of a sudden, I've never wanted a pet. I've got a little boy, you know, like these businesses. I don't need anything else. I'm finding myself like feeding this cat and like putting it to the head but it's so weird because my mum's got this app and her cat is something like 2,000 days old <laughs> 2,000 oh years my old God. so I'm like, oh my God, I'm like I'm my mother again <laughs> that, that's amazing now Lisa if anyone wants to work with you or join one another or do anything mm-hmm. of all the amazing things you're doing can you give people um the best way to get a hold of you yeah, absolutely. So um, one another community, um, you could type into your URL, um, just basically one another dot community, and it will bring um, up the, the, the homepage. If you want to access the okay. app, um, which is a native desktop app, it's app.oneanother.community. Um, and if you're right. interested in chatting to me about PR, it's basically comms101.work in the same way. Fantastic. Well, I don't know what to say other than you're very inspirational. You have been fantastic about sharing stories with me. Thank you so much. And it was oh, just awesome. Oh, it's been really good to chat to you. It's so cathartic, isn't it? Just unloading and talking. <laughs> it's been great. It is, and I'm sure it's it's just as enjoyable for the people listening. Oh, I hope so. Um, yeah, if there's any nuggets of wisdom or if it helps anybody in any way or if someone hears about the app, you know, and logs on and connects with someone and creates a beautiful connection, then that's all I can ask. Can't ask for more. Makes than it that. all worthwhile. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she's the boss.com.au. <laughs>